This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome into Nuggets Numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as I take you in on this wonderful day. Getting some great weather here in Colorado over the last couple of days. That is, of course, after it snowed, I think, on April 2nd. So can't have it all, of course. Um, Quarantine life has been an interesting one. Not a lot to talk about. Lots uh, Lots of games being played with my family. Uh, they're the only ones who I'm quarantined up with. Haven't really seen anybody other than my family over the last several weeks. We're all getting a little bit stir crazy over here. Uh, but got to do our part. Got to do your part too. Make sure to continue to stay home. Uh, do the self quarantining thing. Do the right thing. Doesn't take much for mistakes to happen for people to get hurt. So continue to be mindful of that. Continue to be understanding of the situation around you. This episode of Nuggets Numbers is going to be mostly focused on a Monte Morris breakdown. I'm going to break down his game in segments two and three. Uh, Before I get to that, though, segment one, first of all, we're doing our Nuggets Greats tournament over at Denver Stiffs. Having a decent turnout for that. Would love to see a few more people vote on it, of course. Uh, Alex English and Fat Lever look like they're going to be advancing to the Elite Eight. Nikola Jokic and David Thompson already advanced themselves. Tomorrow, and I, Tuesday, excuse me, Carmelo Anthony will get his chance to advance. Uh, so there are a lot of interesting players that are starting to come up as members of the Nuggets franchise and what their standing is in Nuggets franchise history. I've been really interested to see which players kind of uh, develop in which situations, who wants people to advance in certain situations. Uh, I'm kind of expecting Nikola Jokic to go pretty far, even over guys like Alex English and David Thompson. But we'll see how it goes. He's going to match up with David Thompson next week, or actually in the next few days, I think on Thursday. So keep an eye out for that. Also on Denver Stiffs, I put up a Stat of the Week article today that was basically a Michael Porter Jr. piece. Uh, Ceilings, floors, realistic outcomes based off of what he did during his rookie season. It was a lot of fun to do because when you start looking at those comparisons, you start making the comparisons to players like Kevin Durant and Paul George and Jason Tatum. Tall forwards like that who are very skilled know how to play, uh, stars, two-way players that are extremely impactful, you start to get excited about what Michael Porter Jr. could be in a Nuggets uniform. We don't really know. His sample size is very small. It's really hard to extrapolate that data with 
a degree of certainty that says, hey, this player that only averaged 14 minutes per game during his rookie year is going to be a superstar. Uh, There are players who didn't start out as high-minute guys. Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, though he's not a star. I mentioned that in his rookie season, he averaged 11 minutes per game as a rookie. That's really low, and it should give Nuggets fans confidence that even if you average a low minutes total, you can still develop into a star caliber player. Paul George averaged, I think, 19 minutes per game, 20 minutes per game in his rookie season. But the big difference between Paul George and Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and then Michael Porter Jr. is what's going to happen in their second seasons. Paul George then transitioned into a starting spot in his second year. Jason Tatum has never come off the bench in a game before. Kevin Durant was basically given the keys to the Supersonics franchise before they became the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, when he stepped on the court as a rookie. He was the guy. They, they ran everything through him still. He handled that reasonably well, but it was very clear from an early age that he was going to be a star because of how he handled it, because of what he put together on tape. Michael Porter Jr. could also be that guy, maybe not at the Kevin Durant level, but I think it's going to come down to whether he's going to be put into a starting role or not. It has to be the expectation, in my opinion, that Porter is going to be a starter next year because those kinds of players don't come off the bench that often. They don't come off the bench for a couple of years before then being inserted into the starting unit. Kobe Bryant did. He's a very rare example of a player who became an all-time great but really started his first couple of seasons off the bench. It just doesn't happen that often. So I'm interested in seeing how the Nuggets continue to handle that, how that dynamic continues to shift. Uh, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are the guys that are inked into pen on the starting unit for next season. Uh, Gary Harris could be a starter. Will Barton could be a starter. Jeremy Grant could be brought back as a starter. Paul Millsap could be brought back as a starter. Maybe Torrey Craig gets a start if both Will Barton and Gary Harris are moved. But I'm starting to come to that point where Michael Porter Jr. really needs to be inked in as a starter if the Nuggets really want to cultivate his development. He needs to learn. He needs to figure things out and... There just it, there aren't going to be enough situations for him to figure things out, for the Nuggets to really figure out what they have in him, unless he's in a starting role playing major minutes next to a guy like Jokic and Murray. We really have no idea how Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are going to fit on the court together. That's a big deal. Uh, those guys, if they are to be cornerstones of the Nuggets franchise, you would think that they have to fit reasonably well together. I'm interested in seeing how that goes. I would love to see them work two-man action where Jamal Murray is in a pick-and-pop with Michael Porter Jr. Or maybe Porter is getting a screen from Murray and seeing how that develops. Uh, Maybe Porter is running the dribble handoff game with Jamal Murray. There are lots of ways for those three players, including Jokic, to really interact well with each other. We've already seen the Jokic-Murray two-man game. We've seen Jokic have some chemistry with Porter 
though not a ton. They didn't get a ton of opportunities on the court for extended stretches this past season. The most volume was in January. That was the year, or that was the month where the superstardom really showed forth. It was really something that I was very impressed with. I didn't expect it to be that quick, but from January 2nd, when he played against the Indiana Pacers and dropped 25 points on 13 shots, he has been, or was at least for, for the almost the entire month of January, a revelation for the Nuggets. Uh, 12 of the 14 games he was in double figures, 11 of the 14 he hit at least one three. He was extremely productive as a scorer, as a rebounder, and he even improved a little bit defensively during that time. He at least looked a little bit more competent out there, and he looked a little bit more comfortable in general by just having that confidence, having that that belief that, hey, I'm not going to get pulled for this one mistake or these two mistakes I can just play through it, run through to the next play, and figure it out. So, we'll see how that goes. Enough has been said about Michael Porter Jr. I just wanted to float my article. If you haven't read it, Stat of the Week from Monday. It's an article about the ceiling, floor, and realistic outcomes for Michael Porter Jr. Lots of good stats in there that I pulled. Should be a fun one. When we come back, we're going to break down Monte Morris's game, raw numbers, and where he stands in the league. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Monte Morris was a massive breakout candidate uh, for the Nuggets in the 2018-19 season. He really showed that he was a quality NBA player, maybe even a borderline starter caliber player when he was the primary backup for Jamal Murray last season. Uh, Did a really great job, was was excellent, had a high true shooting number, shot 40% from three, Uh, One of the highest assist-to-turnover ratios in NBA history. Uh, He was great. He definitely took a step back in 2019-2020. So let's look at his raw numbers, some of those big strengths and weaknesses here, along with some of his league ranks. This is among what I followed as 32 qualified backup point guards in the league. Uh, You had to play at least 500 minutes, and most of your minutes had to come at the point guard position. Uh, Let's look at this. His minutes per game was down. 21.6 minutes per game ranks 15th out of 32 guys. Points per game, 8.4. That ranks 15th out of 32. Assists per game, 12th. He's at 3.5 per game. That's 12th out of 32 guys. So let's stop there. Points and assists and the minutes are usually the biggest indicators for how involved a backup point guard is. Uh... As you can see from those, Monte Morris, relatively average, relatively 
uh, even keel in terms of how involved he is. He was at 10 points per game his rookie year, four assists per game his rookie year. Those numbers are down, and they were expected to be down, actually. I was, I'm was i not surprised by that at all because the Nuggets got healthy. Jamal Murray missed less time than he did the previous year. Um, Will Barton missed less time. Uh, Gary Harris, though he did miss less time, he took a step back. So Malik Beasley was in and out of the rotation there. Michael Porter Jr. was getting a lot of opportunity. Jeremy Grant was getting more opportunity than a guy like Trey Lyles the year before. So his opportunity was always going to be less if the Nuggets were healthier, and that's been the case. Uh, Those per-game averages don't necessarily reflect the quality of player, but from a percentage standpoint, two-point percentage, it was at 49.4%, that's 12th. Three-point percentage at 37.5%, that's 13th. All in all, because of his shooting profile, because of the types of shots that he takes, because of his strengths and weaknesses as a player, he likes to get to the mid-range, he's more comfortable in that zone than he is getting all the way to the rim at his size, not an elite three-point shooter. He's competent, but not elite. He only shot 53.7% on true shooting. Uh, that ranked 18th out of 32. That's below average. That's slightly slightly below average, we'll say. Uh, it's not an analytically sound shot profile, which was fine last season when Monte Morris was making every mid-range shot like, like it was nothing. He was in the 98th percentile from the floater zone in 2018-2019. That dropped to the 26th percentile this year. Uh, That's a massive drop, and it shows that it's very possible that he was more comfortable the previous season, uh, wasn't very happy with, or wasn't necessarily very comfortable with the lower minute totals, or maybe he just ran hot last year. Maybe this is more of what he is. I don't think so. I think he kind of ran a little bit cold this year, but I think it's fair to say that the floater, much like Gary Harris, it kind of burned Monte Morris this year. It's a very finicky shot. Only select players really hit well from that distance. Nikola Jokic is one of them. He's proven that over several years that he can and should hit that shot. Uh, Monte Morris, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what he does next year. But overall... Only in the 26th percentile in shots at the rim, uh, that's really low. In the 20 or in the 33rd percentile in percentage of his attempts that are threes, that's also low. He's in the 90 uh, 96th percentile in shots in between those two zones in every mid-range shot. Basically, that's really high. Only Nikola Jokic is higher. Um, when you take half of your shots in the mid-range zone. You have to make them at a high level. Morris just didn't make them at that high level this year, and it be, it be it made the rest of his game a little bit more or less impactful. Uh, Morris shot thirty-seven point five percent from three, which is pretty good on surface value, but most of his shots were not from three. A lot of them were from two-point range or mid-range, and when you shoot thirty-seven point five percent, that's good. But he didn't take enough of them. He actually shot 3.2 pull-up shots per game out of his 7.4 total field goals. That is always going to drag down your efficiency. That's always going to make the offense less efficient than it could be, which says to me that 
Monte Morris is kind of he's he's a high floor player because of what he provides, because of how few mistakes he creates for others, for himself. But he's also a lower ceiling player. There are guys like Dennis Schroeder and Goran Dragic and other like volume scorers and creators. Lou Williams has always been in this category that because of their high ceiling, they can impact the game more consistently from that from that distance, from as a scorer, even if you're a little bit less efficient, opposing teams have to respect you. They have to put their best players on you. They have to fear you. I don't think Monte Morris was feared this past season. His efficiency just wasn't good enough to play more than 20 minutes a night. Uh, He has to get better. And Denver's offense really dropped off this season. And a lot of that had to do with them kind of being wishy-washy against the bottom teams. I expect that to be fixed or at least partially fixed next season. But great offenses perform well on the margins, and that's where the role players really have to come into effect. I really talked about this and tried to hit it home with Gary Harris. He and Monte Morris share a lot of similarities. They don't take the most valuable shots for themselves. Or for the offense, anyway. The offense is in a worse position when Monte Morris is being forced to take mid-range jumper out of mid-range jumper on repeat, we'll say. Good offenses find a way around that. Milwaukee's backup point guard, George Hill, had an absurd true shooting percentage this year, 66.8%. Shot a super high percentage from three, took valuable shots. Uh, That helps make an elite offense tick. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, like I said, he he has always dealt with some inefficiencies, but he had a really efficient year this year. 57.3% true shooting makes him super valuable. Uh, He was one of the key reasons why the Oklahoma City Thunder were as good as they were, because he could play next to Chris Paul and, and Shea Gilgis Alexander and be competent, be a threat, be somebody that could take the pressure off of those guys. DeLon Wright from the Mavericks, backup point guard. He played next to Luka Doncic sometimes. Sometimes he played next to Seth Curry. But he needed to shoot a high percentage from three in order to make a a real impact. He's always had size and versatility. He shot 38% from three this year. Those are three guys that I would have ahead of Monte Morris in the pecking order. It just, just makes sense that way. So... The advanced metrics also kind of say the same thing about Morris. RPM has is really low on him. He's at 73rd overall for backup point guard or for point guards in general. Box plus minus is a little bit more kind. He's at a plus 0.1, which is ninth among backup point guards. That's kind of around the range where I would expect it to be. So here's where we're at with that. <coughs> Excuse me. Guys like Derek Rose, Dennis Schroeder, Goran Dragic, they may make analytic types uh, less happy, but they are just simply more valuable because they allow other players to be role players. They allow them to be more efficient. Those guys, those volume creators off the bench, those are one type of point guard that are more valuable than the 
type of point guard than Monte Morris is. Here are some of the different types of backup point guards that I can come up with. You've got your volume creators like Derek Rose, Dennis Schroeder, Goran Dragic. You've got your defensive-minded guards like DeLon Wright, Derek White, Corey Joseph. You've got young players finding their way. Uh, Kobe White with the Chicago Bulls, Frank Neil Aquino with the Knicks, Anthony Simons with the Portland Trailblazers. And then you've got the Monte Morris category, which is your low-mistake veteran options. They're your classic game managers. They're solid at most things, not going to blow you away, not going to wow you. These are guys like Morris, Tyus Jones, TJ McConnell, uh, guys who are not going to go too far outside of what they normally contribute, but they're always going to contribute something. They're always going to figure out a way to be impactful, at least moderately impactful on most nights. For my football fans out there, they're your classic game manager quarterback. When the Broncos won the Super Bowl back in 2015, Peyton Manning was the quarterback. Brock Osweiler was the quarterback a little bit, but Manning was on his last legs. He was always, you know, at that point, he was kind of considered a game manager because he was supported by an elite supporting cast offensively and an elite defense. Um, Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, guys like that, TJ Ward, Chris Harris, Akeem Talib. Um, those guys made the Nuggets or made the Broncos a Super Bowl caliber team. All they needed from the quarterback was just to not mess it up. And there were times where it was being messed up, but you, you just kind of got to live through it. Uh, Morris is a lot like that. He's a lot like the Trent Dilfer for the Baltimore Ravens winning a Super Bowl back in 2000 or early career Russell Wilson, guys like that. Um, that puts Morris below the massively impactful players. I'd put him below Derek Rose, George Hill, Dennis Schroeder, Goran Dragic. I'd also put him below DeLon Wright, Derek White, and Reggie Jackson, who's making the transition from starter to backup. Um, he's probably in the same tier as guys like Tyus Jones, TJ McConnell, the aforementioned, Jalen Brunson from the Mavericks as well, uh, Jeff Teague, Patty Mills, guys like that. These are solid players. They, they aren't going to screw a bunch of things up for you, but if you have to play them a ton of minutes in a playoff series, I think you're at a disadvantage. So that makes Morris a, a solid backup point guard, about 8th to 13th in the NBA or so. He has... Uh, one fatal flaw in size, but it's less important than some of the fatal flaws of players below him, like poor efficiency and decision-making from a lot of the younger point guards and maybe just poor inefficient shooting from uh, from some guys. But that's where I see Morris at right now. I don't see him as a, a top-five backup point guard or anything like that. He, he had an, a at least an argument for it the previous season. We'll see where he is in a year because I think it could change. This could have just been a, a sophomore slump of sorts for Monte Morris, and he could he could bounce back for sure. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, but if the Nuggets are going to pay him a bunch of money, you have to know what you're going to get. So uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the playoff viability of Morris as well as what I think he can be for the Nuggets going forward. We'll be right back.
Alright, we're back. Final segment on Nuggets numbers today. This is about the playoff viability of Monte Morris, as well as what I expect him to be for the Nuggets going forward next season, maybe into the future beyond that. Uh, Let's talk about the playoffs, because the last time we saw Monte Morris in the playoffs, it didn't go well. It was not great. Uh, In 2018-2019, Monte Morris was 0 of 13 from the three-point line in the playoffs, and that's kind of a microcosm for the the problems that he had, but it's it's a pretty large microcosm, I would say. Uh, He wasn't able to capably score off the bench. His jump shot wasn't falling. He wasn't able to deal with the size of players around him, the the added physicality of the playoffs. You had Derek White in there as the as one of the point guards for the Spurs, but really this came down to the Blazers series. He never scored above 6 points in any game in the Blazers series. That was only one time. Uh, he, only, he had only one game with over two assists. He had several games with one assist or zero assists. It was a bad performance. He had a positive plus-minus in only four of the 14 playoff games, and only one of those was against Portland. Uh, he was reasonably solid against the Spurs. I, I think it, it should be said that the most recent impression that we have of Morris is different than what he started with in the Spurs series. He actually had some good games there. He was reasonably efficient. He was productive. He he had seven assists in one of those games. But overall, he looked like two entirely different players. Um, And that could be partially because of the competition. It's a lot harder to play Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum than it is to play uh, DeMar DeRozan, Derek White, uh, Bryn Forbes, guys like that, Patty Mills. It's, It's a lot harder. So... Um, I was really hoping to see how he would play in the playoffs this year. I suspect it would be better with a year of experience. He's more comfortable in this setting. He understands how it's going to go. He's learned. He's grown. I would have expected it to be better, but there are always going to be questions, and he has to prove it. Always going to be questions due to his size as well. There are so many teams in a playoff series that will just try to pick on his size when he's out there. It's not like he's 5'10", 5'11", like a Ty Lawson, but he is 175 pounds. He most recently said he was 183, but we'll we'll see if that actually holds up. Um, he's a solid, high IQ defender. He has good positioning, but there's only so much good positioning can do when you're that small against a bunch of teams that have size. Take the Mavericks, for example. What happens when Luka Doncic is switched out onto him? What happens when Kawhi Leonard or Paul George of the Clippers and he is out there and he has to defend him? Or even Lou Williams, for example. What happens if he's forced to defend Lou Williams because of the size factor? That's a problem. That could be a real issue. Even defending Patrick Beverly, could he keep Patrick Beverly off the offensive glass? That's a problem. Um, in addition, teams will throw size at him, kind of like they throw size at Jamal Murray on the on the defensive end. Those guys have a lot to prove in those situations. Uh, that common bench lineup that features Morris and Murray, it's a lot less valuable in the playoffs due to some of those defensive concerns, and they may not be able to score enough if those are the two primary creators out there. Uh, 
Gary Harris in place of Murray probably isn't enough offense. Will Barton is probably the best pairing there for Monte Morris, but it tr- they tried to do that last year. It wasn't really working then against the Blazers. So it's it's not like it's not like there's a magic scenario to any of this where Morris completely makes sense as a 25 minute per game guy in the regular season in the playoffs. With Fred Van Vliet, he is short, but at least he was very stocky. He was very thick. He could defend some of those shooting guards. And Kyle Lowry as well, very stocky, very strong player. So those two, when they were on the floor together, it's a lot different than when Jamal Murray and Monte Morris are on the floor. Those guys are small for their position, at least especially from a strength perspective. So either way. The Monte Morris Mason Plumley pick and roll that is consistently run, it's never going to be massively impactful for various limiting reasons, but the way that it's impactful enough is if Morris is hitting his jump shots. If he can't do that, the entire bench system kind of collapses right now. There are, there are very few counters the Nuggets have in those situations. They could just run Murray Plumley pick and roll, um, but it could be a similar situation where if Murray's faced with a a massive defender who's guarding him the entire time, then I think the Nuggets aren't going to be able to score points. I think they're also going to struggle defending the opposing team. That's a real concern. So that's where, that's enough for playoffs. Here's what I think the Nuggets can really expect with Monte Morris going forward. He's on the last year of that cheap deal that he signed a couple of seasons ago. Uh, Very cheap contract. He's going to be looking to get paid. He's good enough to get paid. He's good enough to get paid solid backup money for a point guard, which is at least $8 per season, I would say. He could get upwards of double figures if he has a great year. If he was playing like a uh, Fred Van Vliet, for example, that's going to be really interesting to watch on the market. The last time around, Fred Van Vliet got around $9 million per year. He's going to be a free agent again this season. I wonder what he gets. I wonder what teams are going to offer him. If he gets like $12 million, $13 million, it wouldn't surprise me if Morris was looking for double digits come the offseason. Uh, and while I don't expect the Nuggets to get really cheap with Morris, they don't have a great option other than Jamal Murray as a point guard. Um It is notable, though, that with Murray locked into a max contract, the Nuggets may want a cheaper backup point guard so that they could fill out the rest of their roster with guys that are going to play in a playoff series. Guys that are 6'6", 6'8", 6'10", players that can really impact things. Like, if it was the difference between bringing back Jeremy Grant and Torrey Craig uh, versus bringing back Monte Morris... uh, I think the Nuggets would probably go with the guys who can add size and athleticism to the Murray-Jokic offense. Uh, that's uh, that's a, an interesting dilemma that hopefully the Nuggets won't have to deal with for a little bit, but we'll see how it goes. Um, still, for next season at least, I assume he's going to be the backup point guard. He's going to be the guy you know what to expect from Morris. You know what his skill set is. He's a low-mistake guy. He's going to make the right decision, may not impact a ton with the shooting efficiency or the 
elite vision. Uh, there are some passes that at his size he just can't make. That's not necessarily a fault of his own, but it is a limiting factor. The Nuggets have to hope for some improved efficiency from him. He shot 57.7% on true shooting in 2018-19. That dropped to 53% this year. Uh, it's got to go back up. If the Nuggets really want to be an elite offense, if he's your point guard, he has to start driving that efficiency himself. Um, more importantly, though, he has to put more pressure on opposing defenses because I don't think teams really fear him. Uh, the best backup point guards are the ones that are fearsome, are the ones that are feared, especially as scorers, but also passers, guys that if you know you don't have a good answer for that player, then he could uh, win a game for his team. Monte Morris needs to become a guy that could win a game for the Nuggets almost single-handedly. Uh, there were times this past season where he had good games, but it wasn't really the deciding factor between any of those games. He, I don't know if he had a game ball for the Denver Stiffs page this year. Um, he'd certainly had some last season, uh, but that's a big deal. He has to start performing, and he has to start just taking the reins, I would say. He's at that year. Uh, he's going to be 25, I believe, this coming season. It'll be in his third major playing season. It'll be in his fourth actual year in the NBA. Um, that's around the time where he really has to put up, where he really starts to break out. And if he can do that, then that's a that's a really important thing for this Nuggets team. The Nuggets have to also hope that he bulks up a bit size-wise. There are only so many things that he can do uh, his frame is small, it's wiry, it's not that, like he can have some wiry strength there, but he's never going to put on a ton of weight. Uh, but if the Nuggets want Morris in a larger role going forward, he'll have to play next to Jamal Murray, and those lineups have been good so far, but there are going to be situations where they need to really carry the team, and especially for extended periods of time, and that means that one of those players has to defend a shooting guard uh, so we'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it. In the past two seasons, that Morris-Murray lineup has a plus 10 net rating this season, a plus 7 net rating last season, so it has been positive. They have figured out how to do it. They haven't gone to it a ton, so I'm hopeful that they continue to go to it, that they figure out a way to make it a staple. That means surrounding those two with a lot of size and athleticism and hopefully some outside shooting. That would be the, the best-case scenario for this Nuggets team. Could a Morris, Murray, Porter, Grant, Jokic lineup look really good? Could that be a crunch time lineup against a team that doesn't have an elite guard? I think so. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to seeing how this Nuggets team handles Monte Morris if he's the sixth man next year, if he plays a similar 20-minute-per-game role where he's just kind of the guy. He's kind of the, the backup point guard and consistently the backup point guard, and that's really all he is. Uh, can he be more than that? I think so. I don't know. But it's going to take some proving from Monte Morris in order to see. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Again, make sure to tune into the playoff or to the bracket challenge that we're doing nuggets greats on 
denverstiffs.com. We're also running it on Twitter, Instagram, etc. cetera. Uh, lots of good stuff there. If you missed the stat of the week on Michael Porter Jr., make sure to check that out. Uh, Nick Herzog also put together a nice piece on Tory Craig, who he thinks should be a major addition if the Nuggets end up trading Gary Harris or Will Barton. I think that's very possible. That's going to do it for Nuggets numbers. I'll see you guys next week.